Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt Lineouts, episode 18. I've got Matt Hawkins, the polar bear, uh, general manager and president of the San Diego Legion. How are you doing today, Matt? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on as well. Um, so you're from South Africa. Uh, you're from Durban, correct? Yes. Um, like a, a suburb, Durban proper? Uh, so I basically grew up in, in an area called Amschlangerachs, um, sort of that area, uh, sort of up the north coast, but then was at boarding school. Uh, for some of my high school career, so didn't spend too much time there. It was it was more away at school most of the time. So, what's the boarding school you went to? Uh, Marisburg College. Okay. Yeah. Um, my land uh, of Durban. One of uh, oh, one of my friends from high school uh, went to Pretoria Boys. So yeah. it was like, what what you guys have set up for the high school level is very awesome because like seeing facilities you guys got and you know playing rugby and you know sports in general it's like 10 athletic fields and yeah yeah no we're lucky look we've got a lot of space right unfortunately in places like we uh in san diego have space comes at a premium yeah um, but yeah pretoria boys used to be one of our, our sort of local derbies and it's actually really cool we had uh, four fixtures like that a year where ultimately the whole sort of school between field hockey and uh, rugby would actually get on a train, right? Yeah. And would get on a train, go up to Pretoria, sort of travel overnight, um, play, you know, sort of do everything that we needed to do, get on a plane, uh, get on a train that night and then travel back to Maritzburg, which is a pretty cool experience, you know, as a kid and as an athlete. Awesome. So when did you begin playing rugby? Uh, I mean, I think from the time I could hold the ball and uh, walk around. Uh, <laughs> both, both my grandfathers and my dad were, were big rugby guys um and you know rugby was definitely a big big part of our family um you know I, I can still remember waking up at you know 4 a.m in the morning to watch you know the south africa play new zealand in a test match at eden park you know way back when um so it was just it was just a, a very big part of um sort of my family but also ultimately the culture in south africa but but sports is right a, a lot of your socializing in south africa is done around sports and sporting events um so it was always a big part of everything that i did so when did you first come to the United States? Uh, I actually first came out in 95. Um, so I had family that was out here, and I happened to be on a rugby tour uh, with uh, my school in the UK. And when we finished up that, uh, that tour, my uh, folks brought me out uh, this way. We did sort of a family vacation, did Mossby Farm, uh, Disneyland, did, did all the good things here in Southern California. Um, that was my first sort of introduction to San Diego, but ultimately America, um, and just fell in love. And so I always had sort of the want and desire to come back at a point, um, and really just continue to find a way that I could create that opportunity. So, so when did you choose to immigrate here? Uh, so basically when I was at college back home, um, I used to come out during my summer vacation, which was November, December, January, and just spend time out here with, with family and start to sort of get an understanding for what was going on. Um, I did try and come to college here, um, but just from uh, the sports opportunities that I had back home, uh, I needed to explore those a little bit further. Um, so I decided not to take up you know, the opportunity that I had. Um, and then basically when I was wrapping up uh, sort of my last year, I happened to connect with the guys at Armbach at Old Mission Beach Athletic Club. Um, and in doing that, just realized that there ultimately was rugby here. And rugby was potentially my my avenue to get out to the States and sort of really start my journey. Um, and at that stage, wasn't wasn't the end journey, um, but uh, as life would have it, it, that's what it's turned out to be. Um, so then sort of moved out full-time towards the end of uh, sort of 2004. So you began playing, uh, you know, on back. I, from research, says 2006. Uh you guys won a national title that year. What was that like? Correct. Yeah. So, randomly enough, the, the Super League existed back in those days. And that's ultimately why I decided to come out because I was a really young guy at that stage. I finished high school when I was 16, turning 17. Uh, so, I had a couple of years that I could explore um, and was really intrigued by the fact that, you know, the Super League existed. 
there, at that stage, there were two conferences. There was an East Conference and a West Conference, and each conference had, if I remember correctly, eight teams in it. And so you, know, you got to travel the country playing rugby. You know, So I got to see parts of this country that I never, ever would have seen You know, if it wasn't for rugby. And it, it was it was pretty fantastic back in that stage because you know, you would generally fly out on the Friday, play on the Saturday, spend Saturday evening, and then, you know, fly back some point on Sunday, you know. So you got to spend, you know, at least some time wherever you went. Um, and, you know, it, at that stage, a great group of guys. And um, that year in 2006, we, we, we were lucky enough to win the Super League Championship. And we actually played our quarterfinal game, I believe, against Nyack at that point um, at Qualcomm Stadium. So the old... Uh, oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah, so it's always a lot of fun. And so my early introduction to rugby in this country was, uh, was a very fortunate one. Awesome. So uh, next year in 2007, you uh, you were selected for the SoCal Griffins and played in the interterritorial tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what was that program like versus now? And, you know, there's a lot of folks that are getting into rugby that have, you know, no idea of what that time was like in the American landscape. I mean, I think for me, it was a, it was a really interesting time. There were two coaches, uh, Johnny Cox and the current uh, CEO of USA Rugby, Dan Payne, uh, were the guys sort of heading up the program at that point. And um, I was fortunate enough to know them both pretty well, and I was starting to get pretty active with the seven team at that point. Um, but the group of players that put together was a great young group of players. Um, and it, it was just sort of one of those things that came up, and you know they got hold of me and said, "Hey, we, we're doing this. I think we headed out somewhere, somewhere in Florida. I forget exactly where, but hey, we got this great opportunity. We're going to go out. We're going to spend you know sort of the weekend there, play some rugby. And for me, it was just another great opportunity to play rugby. You know, with with a good group of people, um, and really enjoyed it. You know, we had a fantastic time out there. I think uh, we narrowly lost the final to." Uh, the Grizzlies, um, but uh, no, it was it was another great opportunity, and also gained you know to spend time with people like Dan um, and with Johnny Cox was fantastic. You know, and then uh, fall of two thousand seven, you earned your first sevens cap, and then you went on to a pretty long career. Uh, how many caps do you have? Sevens caps do you have? Uh, I want to say I played in forty two tournaments at the end of all of it, and a couple of World Cups. Um, yeah, I was really, really lucky, really, really fortunate to to have the opportunity to, you know, ultimately try out, you know, for the team, but then get selected and then have the career that I had. Um, it was it was a time that I look on look back on very fondly um, and really enjoyed, you know, every second of it. So, were you the the most long tenured player of the seven squad before Zach came along? I mean, you you and Zach played together a little bit too. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, sort of when I wrapped up, uh, I I was at that point. Um, but I don't know definitely. But there were, yeah, there was a time somewhere there that uh, I played the most games. Uh, in, in 2010, you uh, you know you earned your 15s cap against Russia. What was the player pool like that? Like back then, you know, how tough was it to break in? Uh, I think um, you know at that point there were there were a lot of long-standing guys um, that were in the squad, and and there was a there was a connection there that you know for the most part you know guys had existed and were in that team and there wasn't a lot of turnover. Um, so when I came in, it was a pretty established uh, group of players. Um, and I think I was just really fortunate that that year had had a good year on the circuit and, and that provided the opportunity for me to be seen. Um, and I think more importantly, the Vegas tournament specifically, uh, I had a really good Vegas tournament that year. So um, that that provided the foot in the door. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my time with the 15s at, you know, Ultimately, looking back, I wish I could have spent more time doing that. You know, unfortunately for me, there was, you know, trying to divide my time between sevens, you know, 15s, a family, and then also a job. And the reality is, is there just wasn't enough time, you know. And uh, the sevens was something that I really enjoyed and got to travel the world. Um, and, and was a program that, you know, uh, ultimately gave me my shot, you know. So I, I felt very loyal to that. So in 2009, you end up coaching at Belmont Shore. Uh, were you still living in San Diego? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was living in San Diego, but I actually worked up in uh, LA. Uh, so okay. I for a company called Sachi and Sachi um, up in LA. So I used to commute every day. Um, Take the train? No, used to drive. Used to drive. Um, One of my buddies, uh, you know, li- um, now he's moved to Dallas, but he lived in North County and he would, you know, take the train some days and some days not obviously, you know, drive that, that, that takes commitment, my friend. Yeah, that whole self-driving car thing would have been great. Um, 
but no, yeah, I, again, it was just, you know, as a rugby player back then, you do what you had to do, you know, for the opportunity. And I mean, you know, from my side of things, it was a great job and, and they were incredibly flexible um, and supportive of, you know, me and, and my rugby career. Yeah. Um, but, but again, you know, I had a, a young family at home and I needed to make sure that I, you know, put a roof over their head and food on the table. So just things that we needed to do. And so you just get on and do it. So for three years, you coached uh, Belmont Shore Sevens. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys went to uh, Club Sevens Nationals uh, mm-hmm. in in 2009, 2011. You won the Sevens National title. You know, so what is the setup and level you need to be at to reach the tournament and win? And then, you know, those based on what I'm seeing, the athletes really show out at that tournament. Like you see high level rugby athletes every year. Yeah, so I think uh, again, very fortunate with the with the Belmont um, situation. So I think in '09 we actually won it. Uh, twenty ten we went to the final and lost to uh, OPSB, and then in twenty eleven we uh, won it again. Um, and I think uh, a large part of that, you know, came down, especially when you get to the, the national sevens. You know, your Eagles guys have had an incredibly long season at that point, um, so their ability to really engage and be um, fully active during the summer is, is really tough because at that point they want to take a time out. Um, so you're really looking at sort of the best college players that are coming through and graduating and then trying to connect that and, and, you know, find a really good mix of sort of older experienced players that have either, you know, played for the Eagles at a point um, or are sort of on the periphery of, of making that Eagle squad. And I think we got very fortunate with, you know, how we were able to recruit and the, the players that ended up, you know, filling out our roster. And so, you know, with that in place, it, it became, you know, more, you know, let's just give them the tools to be successful because we had the guys that, that could be successful and just really put them in a position to go and do that, you know. And um, as I said, we, we had a great run over three years with uh, a lot of people contributing um, towards that, um, you know, from players, staff. You know, Belmont at that point just had a, a fantastic group of people around them, you know, and uh, that was that was showcased. So you've you've worked a lot with youth development. Um, you've helped build up two local youth programs in San Diego, the Mustangs and the Coastal Dragons. Uh, you know what led you to that, and then both have gotten pretty massive. Um, I think it's just been a large part of um, sort of my take on on rugby in this country. Um, you know, I've got two boys, nine and seven now, um, and my dream was always for them to have the the opportunity to play rugby if they wanted to but also be able to have the opportunity to do it the right way, you know, really enjoy their experience. And, you know, sports specifically here, you know, in this country is just such a massive part of life. Um, but, you know, in particular, again, Southern California, you know, we have the weather to be, you know, involved and active, you know, all the time, right? And so I think, um, you know, when I first came out, you know, kudos to OMBAC, they were trying back then, you know, back in sort of 05, 04, 05, to try and put together a youth program. Um, and we're slowly putting together the foundations. Um, but then I think, you know, there were a lot of expats and then guys that had played rugby at college that now sort of got together and started to formalize things a little bit better. Um, and then I think you started to see the growth of these, these other sort of youth programs. And, and I was kind of fortunate enough that where I was uh, living sort of North County, San Diego in Encinitas at that point, they didn't have a program. Um, and so we were able to get a, a group of people together and, you know, literally build the club from scratch, right? We designed the logo, we came up with the name, um, you know, and got this this club kicked off. Um, at that point, you know, I didn't have kids. Um, I think it was nine, 10 years ago. So really handed it over to a group of dads that sort of took it on and have grown it to what they have at this point. And, you know, I think um, all the clubs at some point have gone out and, and I think it's something that I will continue to do because I think that's, that's the breadbasket of our success, you know, as the youth. And, and I, I love being out there with the kids and sort of just seeing them grow and evolve. And, and uh, you know, my love for the game kind of comes through that, right? Just seeing these kids love what they do. Um, because at a certain point, that love of the game turns into something else, right? There's just a little bit more to it. Um, but, yeah, we're very fortunate here in San Diego. There, there are a lot of incredible volunteers, you know, that are very, very energized and very, very passionate and uh, continue to make sure that this game move forward you know, and, and continues to grow. You've also coached uh, at San Diego State. You were the head coach in 2012, taking them to the D1AA uh, 15s championship and also to the Collegiate Sevens National Championship. Mm-hmm. How do you see collegiate rugby fitting 
in with the MLR landscape and will it change much? I mean, I think it, it really depends, right? I think, you know, the, the, the college um, sort of layer of rugby in this country is just so expansive. I mean, there's so many teams and so many divisions and so many different levels and geographically it's just so vast. Um, but, but what I do hope, right, is, is right now there are a lot of high school kids that see rugby as an opportunity in college, whether it's, a, you know, a, a, an opportunity to get into a college, to get some financial support, or just really, hey, I have this commonality with a group of people because of my rugby, um, and so I can connect really quickly once I get on campus. Um, you know, but I think from our side of things, as the MLR goes, you know, we want to create an aspirational pathway, right? So for those kids that aspire to go and do something more specific in the rugby world, they now have the ability to do it, right? And, and I think we as the MLR and the individual teams need to make sure that we are working, you know, hand in hand with the colleges to sort of talk through what are the opportunities, how can we support them, and, and then how can we cultivate the development in those four years that a player is at college, and then at the same time, allow those kids to reap the benefit of when they come through to have the opportunity to be a professional athlete, you know. Uh, I think that's a dream for a lot of people. Um, and as you look at it, you know, as we discussed a little bit earlier, you know, for, if I'm a guy in college now and I'm looking at what's ahead of me, you know, between the sevens program and the fifteens program, there's maybe 70 spots available for me to wear, you know, a quote-unquote international or professional jersey. And the the truth of the matter is there's not a lot of turnover there, you know. Um, you know, there's maybe 10 to 15% turnover every year. So there's just aren't spots available, you know. And so the hope is that we, as a league, the MLR, can grow to a point where, you know, there's hundreds of opportunities for these kids. But then I've also worked with the colleges to create a development pathway, you know, that, yes, we want to see this college win a national championship, but the reality is what's more important to us is to make sure that the kid that's 17, 18, graduating out of high school, going into college, now over the next four years is actually in a, in a system and a pathway where they're developing through a four-year process versus just competing for a starting spot, you know, um, because there's a, there's a very different model there and we need to make sure that, you know, we capture that and, and make the most of it because that, that at the end of the day is going to cultivate uh, the, the competition that we need to generate the best eagle and if we can generate the best eagle, hopefully we can generate the best eagles and, you know, start now competing to be, you know, one of the top 10 teams in the world and, and hopefully at some point in the near future make a quarterfinal at a World Cup. Awesome. So, you know, same same year, uh, you end up taking over all Marine Sevens, uh, you know. So what do you think of, you know, Armed Services Rugby right now? What does it need to do to get back to you know where it was previously with both strong 15s and sevens programs rather than just one i mean i think it's it's tough because i, I don't know enough about the, the sort of inner workings right and, and the politics of of the armed forces and, and how it all works out i think you know for my setting I, I was blown away by sort of the rich history and tradition that rugby has in armed, armed services and was something that i was pleasantly surprised about um my time with the guys in the marines and the friends that I have um, was fantastic, right? I loved it um, and wish I could do more of it. Um, but I think, you know, with the WCAP program that you're seeing becoming, you know, more of a part of the sevens program, I think, you know, both male and female, I think there's there's really something there. Um, as far as the sevens and fifteens, I mean, the more rugby, the better, right? So um, if, if, if there is the potential to support both, I think, Absolutely, ideally, yes, let's try and make that happen. But the fact that there is a, you know, on horses championship every year, I think that's fantastic, right? I think that's that, that's definitely still something that's showcasing that tradition, that history that, you know, those men and women have with the game um, and those organizations have with the game, you know, so I think that's important to us. Then back in um, following year in 2013, you stepped in on short notice uh, to take over the Eagle Sevens program. Um, for the 2013-2014 season. How did that shape you as a coach? Too long to describe. Uh, but I think uh, I think in all reality, um, that time was probably about a 14-15 month window. Um, as a person, right, I was 29, 30, 31-ish. Um, I was very young in, in my career, but also as a person. Uh, it was, I learned the most I've ever learned in my almost 35 years on this earth. Um, and has provided a foundation for me moving forward 
that I think has positioned me to be successful, you know, um, based on what I learned through that time. Um, loved the time, really enjoyed the time. You know, I, I miss being a part of that program. Um, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was a chapter in my life that I look back on and, you know, again, don't regret the things you do, right? Um, just move on, learn from them and, and keep moving, you know? Um, and so that's, that's kind of what I've tried to live by. So in 2015, uh, that was a busy year for you as well. Uh, you started the Institute of Rugby with Hannah Lockwood, former, uh, you know, USA Eagle uh, herself. Uh, to provide an academy setting to grow youth rugby in, you know, the the growing population that is in San Diego. How has that been the last couple of years? I mean, it's been fantastic, right? The Institute of Rugby, in all honesty, is, was always a smaller piece of a much bigger puzzle, um, you know, as far as San Diego region and, and, and all the other things that we are now, you know, sort of putting in place. Um, so for me, it was, just, it was just an opportunity to create sort of a, another level um, for both players and coaches to engage with um, to provide just a little bit more um, because I think in sports in this country, you definitely do have layers, right? You have very much the, the social aspect of a sport, right? You then have the rec piece of the sport and then you have the competitive piece of the sport. And I think, um, uh, you know, as I explained to people, you know, at the end of the day, um, for us right now, you know, the, the pathway, right, that everyone likes to talk about, um, I think it's unfortunately pretty disjointed, uh, but it's, it's really no one's fault, right? It's, it's just it's fairly disjointed. And as I told people, you know, the Institute of Rugby is not a pathway, right? It, it's an opportunity to get better, to hopefully join a pathway um, or to stay in a pathway, you know, depending on what that is, because there were just multiple pathways at that point. And and I think, you know, moving forward, you know, the hope is that we create, you know, some type of uh, galvanizing effort, right, that we we and our local entities are provided the leadership from the governing body that we can then get in behind and really support them, right, because our governing body is, is doing everything they can, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, doesn't have the resource to take on the geography that we are, you know. And so we've all got to sort of buy in and, and get in behind that and support them. Um, because I think that's really and truly the only way we're going to be you know, ultimately successful. Can you tell uh, everyone about uh, Institute of Rugby's holistic program? You guys have a pretty extensive offering. Yes, I think the goal was really, you know, I have a lot of friends that are based all over the world in different forms and sort of levels of rugby. And so, you know, I've spent the last sort of 15, 16 years really diving into that and sort of trying to get an understanding of what's done where, you know. And so an example would be, if, if I was looking at the Saracens Academy or if I was looking at the Natal Sharks Academy, right, both um, very strong brands in rugby, both have um, very sort of storied uh, histories in, in the game. Um, one obviously based in Europe, the other one based in the Southern Hemisphere, so playing in different competitions, but very much the same level. Um, you know, but when you look at the different academy models, they're significantly different, right? The Sharks approach it in the manner where, you know, bigger is better. So they have close to, I think, 250 players in their academy yearly. Um, and they have two locations in sort of the KwaZulu-Natal province. And then they actually have a location in Dubai. Um, so it's a, it's a significant program, right? And then you look at uh, Saracens. And Saracens, ultimately, they look at targeting, you know, 15 to 16 players. I believe it's between the ages of 15 and 18. And that's it, right? That, that's where they put their, their energies and efforts behind it. And... If memory serves me correctly, uh, all of the guys that were selected for the Lions Tour from Saracens all came through their academy. Um, and so, you know, just very, very different approaches. And so from that standpoint, um, it was one of those things where, for me, again, it, it's, it's, a, it's an evolving model, but we wanted to provide, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing that lacks um, in youth coaching, but also in youth sport from a rugby perspective for us was just classroom time, right? So... I'm a kid, I get onto the field, I, I learn different ways, right? I can learn visually, audially, you know, there's just, just different ways that I learn. And so having the classroom time and being able to show video, then whiteboard what's happening, how it's happening, why it's happening. I think, you know, the ability to learn through that process and then go out onto a field and really practice and execute that um, was something that's not done that often. Um, and so 
that piece to it, you know, the other piece was obviously teaming up with uh, the group Exos, um, who's a human performance company. Uh, I mean, they're, they're the best at what they do um, in America. We got one here. Bring it. Bring a camp here. There we go. Here um, in Arizona. They're incredible, right? And I think uh, for me, the biggest thing was when I sat down with the, you know, the group of people that ultimately drive their human performance daily, and sort of said, "Look, you guys know and understand." The athletic world but also the athlete that exists here in america i want you to help me now find the balance and the transition from that and layer in the rugby right how do we now start creating rugby athletes from american athletes right um because it, they just the sports are different right and, and how they engage in the gym how they approach their programming but also ultimately their development is just different um and so, you know, working with them has also been incredible, you know. So, you know, the goal is to ultimately provide, you know, anyone that attends the ability to really look at every piece of their development and have the opportunity to develop, you know, holistically versus, you know, running around at a park and, you know, hoping I get better, you know. Um, and, and I think uh, for the most part, we, we've done a pretty good job. But again, it's a... It's a small piece of a much larger piece, and so hopefully within the next, you know, three to five years, we can we can come back and start talking about something more significant, right? Um, and so the institute is a part of a an academy, which is then a part of something else, which is then a part of the San Diego Legion, you know, and is you know has has an impact on the whole geography that we that we basically are based in here in sort of southern Southern California. So will the Institute of Rugby feed into San Diego Legion Senior Academy or will San Diego Legion establish its separate age grade program? Ultimately, the Institute of Rugby will become the academy uh, for San Diego Legion and then we'll just sort of build uh, a sort of bridging. Um, so right now we're really focused on the 18-year-old and under um, and so we need to build out something that is for the 18 to sort of 23-year-old um, that would be again classes your sort of traditional academy um and look at you know um i've spent a lot of time with some guys from different parts of the world building out what we think is the right model and uh if all goes according to plan uh hopefully we'll launch it at the end of the year oh outstanding so i mean we've, we've talked a little bit about different models and i'm starting to see uh different models in the u.s because we have uh, specifically the Glendale Raptors, their model is live, right? And then um, Houston's model is, uh, you know, I think they're in phase one. Um, basically, I would say with the Institute of Rugby and SD, SD Legion, you guys are um, about at least the structure wise is about relatively the same, but you have uh, a, a three year head start when it comes to outreach and working with kids and developing children. Um, you know, whereas they're, you know, six months into that. Mm -hmm. uh, how does the the local collegiate uh, system, because you have San Diego State, they're a top-level uh, mm -hmm. college program, and then you have other top-level college programs in, in Southern California uh, that you can draw from. How do you see those schools fitting into a senior academy and how you would, I guess, provide resources and also integrate what they do for to feed if the if the play, athletes want to pursue rugby how would that fit in so i think there's two different approaches right one approach is sort of understanding there's johnny johnny's gone through high school johnny's got a 4.4 gpa johnny's a great rugby player lots of different select you know tournaments clinics camps whatever you want to call it and he's now in a position where he wants to go off and ultimately he wants to be a collegiate athlete, but he wants to go to Cal. He wants to go to Samaria's. He, he wants to go and do that, right? If he's developed him and helped develop him in our geography, we want to make sure that we keep tabs on him, right? So when he's 18, we want to know what he looks like at 18 and a half, 19, 19 and a half, 20, 20, you know? And so what we've got to do is we've got to create a system that allows him to go forward and ultimately go and explore being a collegiate athlete at one of those four-year colleges, but still then have touch points on him, right? So let's say he goes away in September, or then in winter, he comes back and spends, you know, five, six days with us, right? And we're in constant communication with, you know, his coaching staff at his college that he's at, 
but then he goes away again and then spring break he comes back to us over summer he comes back to us and if we can create a model that is a hybrid between sort of the saracens model and the sharks model i think we can create the right opportunity right so the 15 16 players that we select that then go off to four-year colleges we have those 15 16 players continually coming back to us right and, and we have touch points in them but then at the same time we also want to create an opportunity for players that you know for example aren't johnny right they didn't get the gpa they didn't do all the things that they needed to do to actually go and explore a college career well what we need to put in place is hopefully right is is we create a collaboration or a partnership with a college program whether it be san diego state whether it be a community college where they can actually be in an academy but also be getting an education daily but that's housed with us right so we have a touch point on them every day and i think the way to create it then is that you structure something that is a 12 month and a 24 month process so if you know michael comes to us and says hey guys i don't have the gpa to get into the rugby school that i want to get into but i really still want to go to a four-year college well we get him in and we basically put him in a program where we develop him as an athlete and as a player and we get to evaluate him to see if he becomes a long-term part of our you know basically our player profile and our squad um but also help him academically to do what he needs to do to achieve his goals to then go and convert and transfer on to a four-year university the 24-month program is more for someone that doesn't really have right any real desire to go to a four-year college but here's here's certain certifications or here's a start where you can work towards that and sort of decide but also during that 24 months we'll have enough time with them where we can work with them to say hey look a rugby career is definitely something that you know is in the cards for you but right now you maybe need to go and explore something else or hey after 24 months you know johnny we really like you we think you're a massive part of what you know could be a successful team let's pull you into us and let's house you with us and let's let's create a development process for you where again you're still getting educated and getting a degree but at the same time you're now a larger part of what, what we are so um there's a couple of different sort of verticals to it um but i think we've got you know we've got to have you know education and performance as two significant pieces um and then just making sure that you know we provide all the opportunities that we can but at the same time create the right touch points that we are developing our geography and you know hopefully getting to a point where you know 60 70 percent of the players that are representing san diego legion are from the southern california basin right um and, and i think if we can do that we've not only grown the game but we've also developed the game to a point where now you know if there are you know 19 other teams in the mlr that are doing the same thing well now we've got something really unique and really special that can then drive that engine that sits above us, which is the Eagles and the national team. In 2015, you you helped establish the uh, San Diego Breakers. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the lessons learned from that experience? I mean, I think like anything, right? Um, uh, my time with the national team, my time with San Diego State, um, you know, my time with that, it, it's all it, all very very valuable learning experiences, right? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I think you know. For the players and for the coaches and, and for everything that was put in place, so it was a, it was a fantastic opportunity, right? It was, it was an opportunity for players to be full time rugby, you know, professionals, coaches, the same thing. Um, and I think for us as a whole here in America, we had the opportunity to sort of put on, you know, a professional rugby game and and see if people would turn up, see if people would pay for tickets, sit on the stands, and really get behind the team. And I think that. That for me was the most encouraging thing. Uh, you know, the night before the first game, you know, as a coach, yes, you had um, a lot of anxiety around us winning or losing, but at the same time, it was well, you know, are there going to be people in the stands? And if there are, how many of them? You know, and I think um, that first game was uh, was a very rewarding experience from both both ends of the spectrum. You know, you said previously, uh, since the breakers folded, you had been working on the Legion project, so. What has been the work that's gone into, you know, now we're a month away from being in the like MLR first season? Uh, well, I think, you know, when you say Legion specifically, right, I had always had a desire to be involved in professional rugby, right? Let's, let's put it that way, right? And um, so 
I would say even from sort of 08, 09, it was always something that I really desired and wanted to do. But realistically, ultimately realized that at that point, if I was going to do it, I was going to have to move country, right? And I'm an American, love America, um, love San Diego, and, and love everything about, you know, what this country is and ultimately, you know, what my city is. So it was more desire to say, well, if that's a dream, right, create a vision and then start working towards that vision. And, and ultimately, you're going to have to build it, yeah, you know. And I think um, – from a timing perspective, I've just been really, really fortunate, right? The things have happened globally, but also nationally to provide the opportunities that getting the right people in the room to really sit and think about what we want to do all worked out, you know? So I think um, from my side of things, you know, both pro rugby, you know, San Diego Legion, they've been part of the sort of vision and process to be a part of professional rugby and creating sort of that, that last piece in the pie that really completes a picture here in this country. Um, and so, it's, you know, it, I think it's, you know, again, it hasn't been a nine-month thing. It hasn't been a two-year thing. It's been a, you know, it's been a decade-long thing, you know. It was something that I even dreamt about and was working on, you know, when I was playing for the Sevens team, you know, um, and, and a part of that. And again, even that, I was really fortunate because we ended up being based at the Olympic Training Center, which was in San Diego, you know. So it allowed me to continue to be a part of the community and drive the community, but then also work on this sort of bigger picture dream, you know. Um, just very fortunate that you know I had a lot of people along the way support me in that and and provide me with the opportunity to continue to work towards that. When it came to building out your staff, you've selected some some really solid guys when it comes to you know resumes. Obviously, you knew Rob Holdley. Uh, hopefully, we'll get him on and uh, you know former Wasp Wasp defense coach and Wales under twenty coach. But you also brought on uh, so How did you get Rob? Chris Cracknell and Zach Test on side for for this. Um, so I think uh, the process as a whole um, has been a lengthy one. Um, we, we've also got some support from a couple other outside coaches. Um, so there's sort of a coaching group of of around uh, six people at this point. Um, you know, Rob is our, our, our lead man on the ground, um, and Rob. Rob is someone that I didn't know too much about uh, before, you know, uh, my time with him with the Breakers, um, but was really, really impressed by him um, during that time, and ultimately really enjoyed working with him. I think we are we are cut from a different cloth, right? Um, we, we're just very different people, but ultimately are all trying to get to the the same thing, you know, just in different ways. Um, so I really enjoyed my time with him. So we had, we had continued to sort of chat and. And ultimately, also worked on some uh, some other projects outside of the the breakers. Um, you know, when there was sort of some downtime, and so when it came time came time to start making decisions, I mean, he was the first guy, you know, sort of that I went to and said, "Hey, Rob, I would really like you to need this um, because from my side of things, um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to spend as much time as I wanted to from a coaching perspective, uh, you know, in this, just because there was so much other stuff that needed to happen, um, and so you know." we had such a good relationship that it made sense, right? I had someone that I trusted and relied on and really felt that he was a guy that the players would get in behind. But at the same time, I mean, he's so passionate about the game. It's it's hard not to get energized by him and being around him. Um, and then obviously Zach and, uh, and Chris are two guys that, you know, Zach obviously I played with and know Zach really, really well. Um, and then Chris I spent many years playing against and ultimately also really know where it really well from that standpoint. Um, and so when crafting sort of the overall, overall coaches profile, um, I really wanted a young, hungry group of coaches that ultimately were looking for their opportunity in reality to prove themselves, right? Um, and, and, and that's what this was, right? This is an opportunity for these guys to really own something that nothing's there, right? They've got a clean slate. They get to build it how they want to build it. They get to build it based on their past experiences, but they also get to build it knowing a lot more about not only the American landscape, you know, with someone like Zach integrated, but also what professional rugby looks like, right? Because a lot of these guys are young enough that they were part of the start of all of that, you know? So understanding that, hey, this is where we are. We're at the start of this, right? Now, where this evolves to, you know, they they ultimately get, you know, to drive their story, but also get to drive the team's story. Um, and so, you know, the three of them together, I think um, it's been a great pairing. 
um, you know, for all of them. And, and I think uh, the three of them work really well off each other. And I think uh, the, the interaction and engagement with the players has been really good. Um, and obviously this weekend was the first real test of that, right? Because every day before then we arrived to work and we were the best team in the world, you know? Uh, and uh, on Saturday was really our opportunity to go out there showcase you know sort of a little bit of what we've done and, and, and where we plan to go you know so it was exciting so yeah re- really happy with the group of guys um incredibly thrilled that they uh you know they leapt at the opportunity to be a part of this and uh very humble that they have done so one of the questions about the league that continues to be asked is how each team is you know working with local men's clubs uh when it comes to loaning players and recruiting players as well Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's it's one of those things where um, that was also one of the very big pieces that uh, you know Rob and I both learned um, going through um, sort of our, our first iteration of this is you want to be fully in- inclusive of everybody. It's also very difficult to do that, you know. And so for us, you know, we've, we've started very small for now. And our goal is, is as we get more established and we understand a little bit more about ultimately where we are and what we're doing, we can then sort of open up and just be a lot more inclusive moving forward. You know, but I think I have a, a longstanding relationship with Armback and then obviously the guys at the Aztecs. Um, and then, you know, other guys have different, you know, relationships. You know, Zach currently works with San Diego State. Um, you know, I, I know the guys at USD. So, so there are relationships that exist, right? And so for us, it's right now trying to make sure um, that we're very conscious of what they're doing, right? So they've got D1 campaigns, they've got PRP campaigns. There's a lot of other things that are going on, you know, and trying to make sure, n- number one, we are, we are, you know, sort of, we are very understanding of what they're trying to achieve, but at the same time, you know, we understand what we need to try and achieve. Right. And, 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 you know, balancing that is, is something that I think for most teams is probably one of the hardest battles. Right. Um, you know, uh, a team like Glendale is, is fortunate, right. Because they've ultimately worked through that over the last 10 years to get to where they've got to, you know, um, for us here in San Diego, you were never going to work through that. Right. Ultimately, what we had to do was provide something that hopefully is neutral um, and can support everyone, um, you know, from men's club down to youth in some capacity at some point. Um, but with the understanding that a truncated season and kicking off when we do kick off and when we launch as a team, we were just never going to get it all, right? And so slowly as we move forward, the goal would be to continue conversations, but ultimately facilitate more conversations and further current conversations to make sure that we are connecting with everybody, but also hopefully providing the answers that everybody's looking for. So far, looking at the you know the roster that you've uh, built here, like what are your impressions? Uh, again, I think you know the roster thing was something that uh, collaboratively, you know, there's been a group of us working on the last nine to 10 months, you know, and and we had a specific profile that we were looking for in a player, but also in a team. And, you know, again, do you get everything that you want? No, you know, but we've ultimately tried to have a fairly decent shape of of what we want to do as a team, right? Philosophy wise and and the characters that we want as a part of our team. But then the other piece is also the type of rugby we want to play and the people that we need to be able to play that type of rugby. And, And I think, again, if you look at the team for the most part, we've gone, you know, for a pretty young and hungry group of players uh, because, again, I think that ties in really, really well with our, with our group of coaches, you know. Um, and I think uh, very, very excited, you know, uh, about what the guys have done and the attitude they've shown. And, and the, last, uh, the last eight weeks has been um, – has really been, I think, for me, the best part about all of this, right, just seeing these guys come in seeing them identify with San Diego Legion and really taking ownership of it um, and then taking ownership of ultimately their team, right? That they, they get to drive this thing and create a legacy for themselves that hopefully at some point is a, you know, 30 for 30 story, you know, 20 years from now, you know? Um, hopefully, hopefully not 20, hopefully just 10, well, you know? And, and right. then we're like looking at, you know, 25 teams or something. Yes, uh, that would be great, you know? So I think, you know, Again, the way that I've always approached it, same with the coaches, is 
if I was a player now, what would I want? What would I be excited about and where and how would I thrive? You know? um, and then trying to facilitate, build that, and then provide that for, for the current group of guys. Are you signing any more players? Um, potentially. 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 Ah. Yeah. And we may have certain players signed that just haven't joined us yet. So both. All right. All right. All right. So got it. Okay. Good to go. Um, so we started the – you mentioned earlier talking about uh, outreach with you know youth. We started to see the outreach program with uh, youth clubs. You guys were – out just um you know this last week was it two weekends ago now um or 10 days uh out at a tournament uh, that was in san diego um you know the boys were out there interacting with um all of you know from minis to like u14 so that's you know that's something we we're seeing a lot throughout the league so i think that's very important uh you know can you tell me more about your your youth outreach program when it comes to the Legion? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of integration there and, and, and that's something that we continue to have a focus on, right? And it's finding the balance between that and ultimately making sure that we're, we're in a good headspace to, to perform as players. Um, but yeah, we, we want to create as much integration as possible, right? At the end of the day, the kids that are going to be in the fans are the guys that are going to want, you know, our players' signatures. They're going to want to be able to high-five them. They're also going to want to be able to Call them by their name, you know, and scream their name and be, you know, feel like there's a relationship there, right? And, and the only way we create that is by putting them together, right? And and have our players going out and supporting these kids while they're playing. But then hopefully through that process, again, reinforcing that aspirational pathway. But also, you know, these guys now become ambassadors, you know, to our community, right? And, and the reality is we want to make them relevant, you know, in our city of San Diego. And if we can do that, we're doing our job, you know? So our guys have actually been um, very proactive with that, right? They want to be a part of it. And, and uh, it was actually awesome. So 10 years ago, it was the end of the season youth tournament that you're talking about. And uh, the U8 and U10s were at a specific facility. And it was one of those times that it was raining in San Diego. It doesn't happen often, but it was. Um, and so we actually had the guys training on the field while everyone was arriving before they started the tournament. So everyone got to see them train, which was, which was great, you know, for a Saturday morning. And then the guys went home, sort of showered, you know, had something to eat and then came back later and then kind of spent time with the kids and signed autographs and handed out, you know, T-shirts and a couple other giveaways. So um, that interaction is definitely there. Uh, we'll continue to do more of that as we move forward. Um, and, and ultimately, as, as things change for us moving forward from a seasonality standpoint, there will be more overlap with our season and the new season, which will create even more opportunity for that. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, the the conceptual phase of your academy system as, you know, when you start building out the senior portion and integration with the junior academy. Uh, Dean House at your guys' press conference stated that there would be a draft when answering a question. Um, you know, how do you see that taking shape? And, you know, would you prefer, like uh, – a hybrid academy model without a draft or is it just like take the pitch? Um, I, look, I think um, the truth of that is, is this very, there are just a lot of layers to that, right? So a draft piece plays in when you have expansion. So, yep. you know, right. If we've got seven teams competing 2018 and all of a sudden we go to, let's call it 10 teams, right. And, 2019, now all of a sudden there's three teams that ultimately need to facilitate a squad. Yeah. Right? So there's there's an expansion, what I call like an expansion draft yeah. there. So do I see that being applicable? Yes, but again, how, right? So, so, so what does that mean, right? Does it mean that we have to allocate X players to the draft every year or every time there's an expansion, right? Like how does that work? You know what I'm saying? And there's yeah. just a lot of detail in that, that I know that there's definitely a construct to that, but, but that needs to be very clearly detailed out. But that's ultimately also very much aligned to expansion because if we don't expand, well, then why do you need it? Right? Why do you do it? You know? Um, so, you know, th that's one piece that the other piece is, you know, going back to the academy pieces. Okay. Well, 
I've now just developed 20 of the best athletes in the country, right? But I can only house five of them. Do I then now get a development fee for each one of those players, right? Do I have to give all of those 20 players up to the draft? Am I able to save some of them? Right? There's just a lot of layers, but within that, you know, there's a lot of time and effort and investment in developing those players, right? And if now they go and are competing for five other teams that we're competing against, again, there's just a layer to that, you know? Um, so I think, um, I think in general, I think it makes sense. I think it, it forces teams to be very smart about their recruitment, but also their retention. And it adds additional, an additional sort of strategic layer to how you create the profile of your team. Um, but then again, the other piece is, okay, well, does that then include foreigners, right? And how yeah. many foreigners are there? And, and, and as a part of that, what's the end goal here, right? So yeah. if I've got now, for example, this year, I've got seven teams and I've got, you know, average squads of 30, right? So I've got 210 players, let's say, right, that are playing professional rugby. Now, as a part of that, right now, the allocation is five per team as far as foreigners go, right? So that's 35 guys that you take out of that, you know, 210. So we're at two, uh, 175 at that point, right? That are ultimately American players, right? Now, is that a bigger pool or a smaller pool than we thought of? right, as far as people that could potentially play for the Eagles. Then moving that forward up the road, okay, so next year we go to 10 teams. That's now 300 players, right? That's however many foreigners, right? So we've got 50 of them. So that's now 250 people that in reality should be American players that can play for the Eagles. Well, now we've automatically added, you know, what's it, 65 people or 75 people to that eagle player pool. I mean, that's that's massive. That's significant. But is that sustainable? Yeah. yeah. Do, do we have that many players? Do we have the ability to do that? That's – for us, for myself, I've said, you know, when it comes to the draft, it's like within the American model and the American culture, we are used to the draft. We like the draft. Okay. But – does collegiate can collegiate rugby sustain a legit draft if you're just like a new player draft and you're pulling in just Americans? The answer is really no. And so my 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 point to you know we discussed on the show was that it's going to take you know in my mind fifteen to 20, 10 to fifteen years of heavy investment to bring in coaches into the American college space and fund programs to the level of Cal Lindenwood in life. And then, you know, develop players over that 15 year window to where there's a large enough pool to even draft. And I agree with that, but I also think that goes back to what you and I talked about earlier, right? Right now as a college program, I don't provide that much of an aspirational value to my player, right? So as a college kid, I enter year one of studying, and again, this is a very general idea and opinion, right? I enter year one. I'm really competing today to make the starting, you know, 23 or 15 today to go and beat someone tomorrow. But that's it, right? As, as a process, that's really the, 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 the larger look at it. But if we can help from an MLS perspective, right, support the college programs and say, ultimately, what we need to do is create a four-year program where these kids are ultimately developing so that the truth of it is in year three and year four is, is when you're really competing for a starting spot, right? But we're developing through those four years now. Well, now there's an incentive, right? Because now players want to go to somewhere where they get developed. But number two, they go to somewhere where if they go there, they're going to be developed to a point where they need or want to be drafted by an MLR team. So now there's incentive for a college program to say, hey, we need to create a system that these four MLR teams have you know, signed off on and, and we are now ultimately somewhat affiliated, right? And, and these guys are going to help us from the coaching and resource perspective develop out these players because at the end of the day, after those four years, they have the ability to now attract those players. Because as I said, right, even in an academy, we're never going to get everyone, 
right? We need people to go to the four-year colleges and go and do that, right? And be a collegiate athlete. But there are also going to be kids that that's not what they want to do. They just want to come to our academy. And, and we have to find a balance between both of those. But also as the MLR, we've got to find a way um, to really distinguish how we can support both of those because that's ultimately going to help support our process in better games, better players, right? But also then a better product and all. And then that filters up, you know, again to, you know, the top piece, which is the Eagles, right? And, and we're going to be in a position where if we've got better players competing each and every day against each other in the MLR, we're now going to end up with a better product in the Eagle jersey. But it starts a lot sooner than that, you know? And, and any place that I think we can help support and impact that process, you know, we've got to do it. Awesome. Yeah, uh, that's definitely uh, the kind of answer that I, I was looking for. And that's, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's all systems based and investment based and, you know, the MLR is the aspirational goal. So what is it, the things that colleges are going to do to provide that environment? Because now there is professional rugby, right? So going to colleges and is about, you know, education, but it's also about preparing for the professional workforce. Mm -hmm. So almost every sport there is like in this country where there's a professional outlet, there is also a college-based system where they can, A, they, they're getting the education, but then they're getting vocational ed and development through that sport. So what are the Legion's plans for a home ground development in the next few years. Um, you know, we've, we've heard about the FC 1904 facility that may uh, launch. Uh, if it, if it does, would you guys be looking to partner with them or still um, finding the land that in San Diego County closer to the beach than not to build a stadium? Um, look, I think, you know, from our side of things, like like everyone in this league, we want a home venue, we want a home facility, and we ultimately, you know, we want something that we can monetize in a way to make things really, really successful for, for us from a business perspective. Um, I think the uniqueness that we have here in San Diego is there's, there's ultimately this interesting, not battle, but, but, but there is, there's this conflict going on right now where, you know, the Chargers left because they couldn't get a new stadium. But that stadium still exists, right? And there are other sports teams that want to now activate that area to create a new sports facility, right? And so we have San Diego State that ultimately needs a stadium to play in, um, but they also want to expand. Um, we've got groups like 1904 who are looking to create their own identity and their own home. Um, you've got, you know, other new franchises like the uh, San Diego Seals, which is an, an arena lacrosse team, but has significant ownership who you know at some point are also going to look for some some you know home for themselves um and then there's talk of, of you know potentially an mls team coming here and you know them driving some sort of development um so you know we're in this really interesting place where i think at some point there are going to be some really exciting projects um coming down the line that for the most part, I think we're going to look to, you know, really have conversations with everyone to see which one makes sense for us, you know, um, and, and which one would be the right home for us. But, uh, you know, as far as our plans, yes, we're actively, you know, seeking out the opportunity to have our own home. Uh, but for now, the two places that we do call home, Exos and USD, I mean, we couldn't be happier, you know. So we're in a really good place, right? And, and we have two great facilities that house us and have bought into us and, and what we're trying to do. So for now, we're, we're very happy. Um, but at some point, we'd like to have our own space. Well, I'm all in on uh, Torero. Uh, having watched the Eagles versus uh, Canada in the second of the qualifiers this summer there, it was a, it's a great place to watch rugby. Fantastic venue. Fantastic venue. And I think for us, if we can sell that place out every game, um, and create a very loyal and passionate um, fan base, I think that'll be a great place to call home to start. So what's in the name, San Diego Legion? Um, I think it you know, has a lot of the military roots with you know, the Marine Corps and the Navy stuff mm -hmm. uh, going on in San Diego. So is it uh, 
Are we looking at uh, Kepi Blancs being sold? What is that the is that the homage you know to the military culture that surrounds San Diego County? Uh, so yes, um, that was definitely a part of our process, right? But there was definitely a process, um, and so I think there were a lot of people that were a part of the process. Um, you know, some of the things that we discussed were, you know, we really wanted to identify with the city. Um, and identifying with the city is ultimately DSD, right? We felt that we, we wanted to have something that was very, you know, very San Diego, right? Um, so that even if you didn't love rugby or Legion, you identified with San Diego and DSD and that symbol, right? So I think that played a large role in it. The other piece was, you know, when you look back kind of at different sports franchises, you know, here in San Diego, um, we felt we needed to create a slightly edgier, team right slightly you know quote unquote cooler if you want to call it right and and you didn't quite know if they were the good guy or the bad guy type thing you know and um and i think that's kind of where our colors came from and and obviously it also linked pretty well with san diego state which i think um is one of the more significant sports properties or more identifiable brands here in san diego so i think that worked pretty well from that standpoint um and then, yeah, and then again, Legion, you know, we, we ultimately got to a point where we went through multiple rounds of, you know, different designs, logos, names, and uh, there were sort of really two names that stuck out. Legion was one of them, and there was one other that was very similar. Um, and, you know, when we all kind of looked at it and talked about it, it really resonated, right, uh, from the standpoint of, you know, being able to, you know, talk to our Sort of fans as legionnaires, right, and being part of this this, this larger collective. Um, you know, we, we've talked about from a team perspective, right? We have certain values, and that, those values are our, are our armor, right? And every day, our players put on their armor, and they can fight in any battle, right? Because they have certain values that they attribute to themselves and the team and to legion. Um, so there was just a lot of really fundamental um, basic principles that that fell into place with the name. Um, with the symbol, um, and then obviously with the coloring. And so I think um, the day it all sort of came together, we were obviously very, very excited about it. And uh, again, as I said, you know, um, we've been um, you know, very happy with the feedback um, from people around, you know, around San Diego, but also sort of online and through sort of social media about our brand um, and about what we're doing. So we're excited about it and we'll continue to grow that and build it. And, you know, again, the most exciting piece is, is the players love it, right? And that's 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 a very important piece. All right, uh, enough with the, uh, the serious stuff. Um, so uh, you know, so when you when you still hit the paddock, are, are you a studs or moldeds guy? I was definitely a moldeds guy. Eh? I, I try to have as light a pair of boots on as possible, so I could think that. Well, I was- being a flanker, you, you, you we're gonna have to change that. All yeah, right. the problem was is I was just a heavy guy, right? So I tried to be as light as possible, you know, and it's that whole look good, feel good, play good thing, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> that whole mantra. So, you know, what's your favorite San Diego brewery? Uh, I must say, right, there's there's a lot, um, but one that we frequent pretty often is Stone Brewery, um, just because they got, a, they got an awesome facility. Great time. Uh, literally five, 10 minutes from our place. Um, it's a great place to hang out and have the kids and just kind of, uh, you know, relax and enjoy the San Diego weather on a Sunday afternoon. So uh, that's the one that I frequent the most. In all honesty, I don't drink a lot of beer. Um, so that's that's something that you'll have to speak to our fans about. Ah, see, uh, as a performance athlete, I don't drink that often either. Okay. So, but I am a, uh, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a supporter of Stone. Uh, uh, their Imperial Russian is one of my favorite beers of all time. I wish it was not seasonal. So, okay. I mean, it's four, it's it's twelve percent, and it's just it's layered, and it's you know it's a good beer. Uh, their their IPAs I'm not a fan of. I'm not a I'm not an IPA guy, and they're all in on the IPA life apparently. Yep. So, a nickname. Yes. Polar bear. Yep. Where is that from? Uh, I mean, so. Uh, I will point out that like a guy who gets the nickname polar bear um, yes. either must have meat hooks mm-hmm. and people must not uh, like getting into fights with him. I just think I, you know, generally speaking on the seventh circuit, I was one of the bigger guys. I had blonde hair and had a 
a much larger beard most of the time. And I think just kind of the way that I played the game and uh, a certain commentator just kind of lashed onto it at some point in my career and it just didn't go away, you know. And then uh, our friend Dallin Stanford made sure that it stuck around for eternity. So uh, what's your uh, concerns about uh, shrinking Arctic sea ice? Um, no real concerns at this stage. I mean, I think uh, at this point there's people a lot smarter than me worried about that and trying to create a solution for that. Well, it's the, it's, it's the natural habitat of polar bears, so you got to... Well, again, I'm pretty comfortable here, and we've got the same... <laughs> so if I need someone So you're the, it's, the, it's the polar bear in the, in the Coke Christmas commercial that is on a tropical island. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's more my speed, yes. San Diego. Got, yeah. it. Mm-hmm. got it. All right. Uh, I'm Aaron Castro. Uh, thank you, Matt Hawkins, for coming on. Uh, we'll be back next Monday at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. This has been Lineouts by Earful of Dirt. Connect with Earful of Dirt online. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening.